0: Welcome to Culture Score. It's week three. This is your host, Ben. And Marcus. If this is your first episode, you should check out the other two. We got some great content out. The podcast is at the intersection of Black culture and pop culture. And, you know, we cover film, TV, and music. Today, we're going to be covering One Night in Miami. Amazon Prime, Angela Davis, Kim Powers. Very excited to cover this one because it touches on some really cool stuff that I think You know, most folks can relate to, but I'm going to let Marcus do a synopsis of this movie for you. All righty.
1: This movie I am really excited to talk about. I have been waiting on this movie since I first heard it was coming out. Uh, Regina King did a bang up job directing it. And for this to be her first film directing it, I don't don't know if she could have done much better. Um, I think when you watch this film, it is very clear that it's kind of based on a play. Um, it almost feels like the entire film could have took place in one room. This is the night that Muhammad Ali becomes the world heavyweight champion. And he and three other just powerful juggernaut uh, black men in entertainment and sports come together uh, to celebrate his um, huge victory. So it's Muhammad Ali. It's Malcolm X. It's uh, great, one of the greatest running backs of all time, Jim Brown. And you get Sam Cook, And it's just a... Just an amazing film. And these four gentlemen spend uh, the majority of the film just sitting in a room, just talking about their journey, their struggles. And it doesn't even really leave the room very much. You get a couple of scenes where, you know, you see Malcolm X giving a speech or you see a scene where Sam Cooke is performing. And there's like one scene where, you know, Muhammad Ali is winning his championship. But for the most part, it's just four men sitting in this room who are larger than life characters. It just really kind of like gives you a juxtaposition of what a conversation that night would have been. Like, so do know everything we're talking about tonight. Um, it, it's not like it necessarily took place. This is a kind of like what could have happened and what type of conversations could have took place that evening um, and that fateful night in Miami. The center, the core of this film, really revolves around, though you have these four men in this room, these four powerful men, the majority of the film really kind of revolves around a difference in opinion between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. And for some of you who may be a little too young to know who Sam Cooke is, he was the Maxwell or the D'Angelo of his time. I mean, he was a crooner, he was one of the greatest singers, and he was one of the first black faces that all of America, and especially like white America, had in their homes. And so you have this, this guy who's just got a silky smooth voice and you have this, this guy who at the time, a lot of people might've viewed him as militant. They have a, a, an opposing view on how what is the best way to um, kind of bl- bring the black community out of black struggle. And that's the basis of a lot of the conversation for most of the film. And so going into that, you know, that's one of the things that we kind of wanted to pull out. One of our goals with this show is not to give too many spoilers, but to take out like really strong things that resonate. And a lot of those things, those themes are things that we deal with or we converse about even in this day and time. So one of the things that I really wanted to kind of talk with you about today, Ben, is, you know, Malcolm X had this very, uh, this, this very strong viewpoint on this strategy of to uplift uh, the black community. We didn't really need to assimilate with the white community. He felt like it was important to pull us up through our own selves and not really try to work with the other side, so to speak. But yet Sam Cooke felt like it was a better idea to go through entrepreneurship, to go through assimilation. And that's a major cause for a lot of the conversation. One guy is like, hey, let's do it through our community. Let's buy black. Let's, Let's build up our communities. But the other guy is saying, hey. Let's get them to show that we're not all bad. Let's go out here and figure out a way to make money because the way you make change is through economics. What are some of your thoughts on that?
0: It's it's a question that's really pertinent to today's society, hence why the movie was so relevant today and why they made this hypothetical conversation that still, you know, reverberates today. where Sam Cooks like saying, you know, the system is here. Let me use the system, and you know, work through the system to create economic. Gain for my people, right? And Malcolm X is like, nope, we got to create our own. We got to be by ourselves. You know, we got to go back to the motherland and all of that. And Jim Brown, I know it's not part of what you asked, but Jim Brown was like, you know, I can work hard. I know what I do. I do it well. I'm just going to go ahead and make my money and empower myself, right? And Muhammad Ali on his side was, you know, I got talent. I work, but you're going to hear my voice, right? And I think it's a representation of the struggles today of, you know, the conversations that still speak to the path to success, you know, that we're in like this day and age, like it's, it's very pertinent that this came out when he came out, because with everything that happened with George Floyd and all of that, these are the conversations that you see, you know, with all the emergence of black businesses and black platforms and black communities and all these conversations are the same conversations that they, you know, they had back in the day. So I don't know. You know, I don't know that there's there's necessarily one way or another that I'll pick, right? I, I think there's 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 merit to both of their approaches, uh, but fundamentally you can layer both of them and say, you know, you can go Sam Cook's route where he's saying the system is here and the system is what it is. I'm going to go through the system and create economic empowerment for my people. And Malcolm X is saying, yeah, when you create it, still create a way for the community to work together, create a way for the community to build on each other, even though he wasn't quite advocating it like that. But if I were to layer both, I say they both have um, very valid approaches. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say, one, you know, that, that they don't work together. It's just that they, they, they espoused it differently and obviously led to different sentiments and, and, and stuff like that. But I, I think it absolutely should work together, in my opinion.
1: Um, I garner that each of these men are just saying, I still want my freedom. You know, Muhammad Ali is like, you know, talking about having to go to the Vietnam War. And even though he's a heavyweight champion of the world now, he's still searching for his freedom.
0: One of the things that settled with me as I watched it and I sat and reflected on it is it's just how unhappy the search for happiness is. Like it's this battle with self that doesn't kind of you know how they say, you know, do what you enjoy and do more of it for you to find happiness. They were all kind of doing what they wanted to do. Fundamentally, it's they, they were all very passionate around you know who they were and what they wanted to do, hence why they have the staying power that they have. But there's this conflict, there's this personal conflict and this unhappiness that kind of rings around how they went about it. That made me question like, was this really the path that they wanted to go? And what could you take off of the, of the weight that they were carrying? So it aligned immediately with their happiness so they could do more of it. Because it almost seemed like the, the, the battle consumed all of them and the battle the internal battles i mean eventually dimmed their light does that make yeah, sense yeah i really
1: i felt yeah i felt that really with jim brown's character it was like the way they portrayed him like you're like the greatest you know football player even to this day i mean if you ask anybody name the top 10 greatest football players of all time i think you'll be hard pressed not to see jim brown's name listed in the top 5 or on the list And even though he was so great, he basically retired, I think, after eight years or nine seasons and he was done. And it was like, you know, he made a comment when he was like, I want to leave basically the NFL and start making movies. I can't remember the number, but it's like, oh, he makes like he has a contract making $17,000 running for a living and hurting his body and his knees hurt. Or he can go and be and shoot a couple of days on a Hollywood set and he made $39,000, you know. I saw that. It's like he was just like he was very matter of fact about it. It wasn't about love. It was about financial security. I felt like uh, Malcolm X's character was really burdened by the struggles of the black community. But I think his viewpoint, which is why the characters in this film, but so much with Sam Cooke. If you look at it, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke are all either affluent or on their way to being super affluent for the time. Whereas Malcolm X really wasn't a guy who had a lot of money, he was more of a civil leader. So he didn't have the same type of. He had fame for a totally different reason, and I think that's one of the reasons why he butted heads with Sam Cooke because I think they made the comment in the film where they were like, "Hey, Sam Cooke is the richest of all of us at the time." You know, he was worth half a million dollars. He owned his own masters, his records, and so forth. And one of my favorite scenes for this to be a, a relatively new film, Ben, I'm trying to tell you. This may be one of the greatest quotes I have ever heard in a movie. I don't know why it just really resonated with me. And it doesn't mean that I side with Sam Cooke. I don't side necessarily with everything with Sam Cook's character over Malcolm X. But when they were having that argument, and this is a really important scene, and I, I don't want to give a lot away, but it was my favorite scene. And Malcolm X basically, um, it, it really hit home with Sam Cook when he brought out um, the Free Willing album from Bob Dylan. And he's like, here's this white guy singing this this, uh, album, having this album, really talking about the protests and what is happening to poor people and women and people of color in this nation. And he's a white guy who isn't even a part of that struggle. And he wrote a song so beautifully about it. And here you are, Sam Cooke, basically, he kind of calls Sam Cooke a shucker and a jiber over here is just singing love songs that has nothing to do with all the struggles that's going on. And that scene just ignited Sam Cook. And you could tell it hurt. And I think it hurt because he admits that he had fallen short with that. But Sam Cook came back with something. Because to me, that was a knockout punch that Malcolm X gave to Sam Cook. But Sam Cook, who I thought was laying on the on the mat to use a boxing analogy, he came back and made this comment. He was like, hey. I got all these artists that I've signed, I own my masters. I've now shown them how to own their masters and he basically gave the example where he took one of his artist songs and gave it to uh basically let the Rolling Stones use it. And because at the time, you know, black artists wasn't allowed to play on on regular radio stations at the time, this hits this hit song only made it to like number 96 on the chart. But once the Rolling Stones took it, It became the number one song in in America. And so his artist was really like adamant about not giving up his song to the Rolling Stones. But he was like six months later, the guy, the guy was getting residual checks that was bigger than anything he made on the album himself. And so he said to Malcolm X, and here's the part that I really loved. And I'm sorry for taking so long to get to it, but you can tell how much I loved it. He was like, he was like, Malcolm, I'm not trying to get a piece of the pie. He's like, I want the whole recipe. And I just thought, like, man, that's so deep. Because he's like, I'm not just trying to get out here and just get a little piece of the pie and, and keep, you know, working until I'm I'm dead, just making, you know, I want to have income. I want to make my work and want to teach my my other artists how to make money off their music forever. And you just didn't hear artists back in the day talk about royalties. You can you can look at in billboard magazines and just look at how many artists back in the day end up die, you know, dead and broke because they didn't understand that. So clearly. Sam Cooke had an understanding of the power of music, the power of entrepreneurship and the effects it would have on the black community. Because he told Malcolm X, all of this, this, this rhetoric that you're saying, and that was a scene where they talked about where his mother was crying because he basically, you know, was very uh, non-apathetic to the, the the killing of JFK. He was like. That's not going to help us move forward. That's going to continue to make us look like we are against them and they're going to keep fighting us. But if we get into their homes through music or through Jim Brown, through playing sports and we take our money and create wealth, that's how you get a fair shake. And I just thought it was a really interesting point of view that they showed and did a great job of showing two different spectrums. But neither side was right, I think, but neither side was wrong either. Sorry for being long-winded on that, but I really No, that I mean, you're,
0: you're onto something really deep there, right? So to me, what it does, you know, what all the little subplots did to me was to make the movie really rich. You know, it's mostly in a room, like you said in the beginning, but because they had all these different subplots that we can all relate to in different ways, right? And they have all these different things that kind of come up and position the characters differently. They kept your attention. Like, so for me, like, When they were having those deep conversations and Ali comes up and says, you know, I told you he's ugly. You should see him up closer. Right. That cracks you up and it breaks that tension and it breaks you from going into that deeper place where the movie is taking you. That was one side of it to me. And another part of it is that they really took that time to develop the characters and make the representation not be monolithic. Right. We hear this. You know from a black cultural standpoint and the community, and you know, kinfolk, skinfolk, where it's almost like we all have to agree on this thing and this is the way it is. Uh, that's I don't really think so. And, and I think this movie did a great job of showing some of those conversations and some of those points of views are not new. You know, these are things that have been around for a while, these are battles that. You know, people continue to fight, like, regardless of race, creed, gender, right? This just, this is no one way to get to happiness. There's no one price where people get to and say, hey, that's my price. I'm good now. I'm out, right? Which is what I think a lot of people suffer. So I I enjoyed it to that extent. I enjoyed the development of the characters. I enjoyed, you know, how they wrote it. I, just the comedy and the seriousness, and you know the reference points that they put in there. I think it was really fascinating to me. And uh, from a character standpoint, I know this guy um, Lance Reddick, the guy that played um, Brother Kareem. He was in Bosch. Like you see him in a movie, like he's just that serious uncle dude. That just you know the the, the cast. My God, they put together like a good group of um. Folks in the movie, I just, I mean, I really, I I enjoyed it. You know, the deeper aspects of it, the light aspects of it, the casting, the writing—I just thought it was fantastic.
1: Well, I think if the core of the film is about which strategy prevails in uplifting the black community, I think the underlying kind of issues that really didn't—they didn't highlight—but I feel like it was always kind of under the surface. Was about it was a little bit about complexion. That came out and jim brown had a conversation with um malcolm x about it and he was like you know why are you so hard on on, on sam cook and even though the gentleman who played sam cook leslie odom jr who's amazing and for those of you who are not familiar with his name he was one of the true stars that came out of the play hamilton that was like a phenomenon um, leslie is a little bit darker than what sam cook was but i think he played him wonderfully And so I want to ask you this, and this is a conversation that Ben and I have sometimes offline just between the two of us. High yellow. I I get called high (laughs) yellow quite a bit. (laughs) I tell him all the time, I'm not high yellow. I'm golden like the arches. And and he's he's a little bit darker. It's not like he's a dark guy. I mean, he's a little bit darker than a pecan, but he acts like I'm so much lighter than him. But we'll leave that for another day. So my question to you is. In your opinion, and the way it was written, and again, we know this is a hypothetical conversation, so please don't at me, and I'm not disrespecting any any of these leaders that's in this, this movie, but Malcolm X was clearly harder on Sam Cooke than he was Jim Brown. And people may say, well, you know, Jim Brown was a little bit of a quieter character in the movie, but he gave Sam Cooke such a hard time about trying to appeal to a white audience. But yet Jim Brown makes a comment in the film where he basically says, and I and, and just let it be known, I have no problem with this. I'm just saying for the sake of this, this conversation about this movie. He was like, you know, Jim Brown was like, hey, I have an affinity for white women. And Malcolm X said zero. He said nothing. He didn't say anything. I thought it was kind of ironic. And I think it was purpose that malcolm x character i mean malcolm x and i'm saying as a character in this film obviously not malcolm x as a person because it's a hypothetical conversation but it's, it, i think it was purposely done that he gave jim brown a pass and then nobody ever came at him and i think even if you are a lighter complected person a black person in this country there is a certain underlying thing that happens that you can't be a, a light-skinned person sometime and and get the same kind of credit of trying to be a revolutionary or trying to be um you know about that life because it's like hey you're light-skinned you can pass you don't go through the same thing and i think there was a little bit of jealousy even though malcolm x is lighter in real life and even in you know and in this film than sam cook and jim brown had a conversation about it so let's i want to get into this complexion thing because I know this could be an episode all on its own, but did you see or feel those underlying issues? And do you think that might have played a part in why Jim Brown had an a easier uh, time from Malcolm X with this than Sam
0: Cooke? So there is that. Uh, there's no running away from that. Like we hear it. It's societal. It's cultural. Um, I know in Brazil, which is really where I just one of the places that I went to that I really recognized my blackness, they have so many different grades of black, right, and so many ways to call it that speaks to the colorism thing that we're talking about. But in this movie for me, really, I think just being that Malcolm X is who he is, and he was about, you know, the black race, and he was about going back to Africa, and it was about having a distinctly black community and all of that, in my opinion, he saw in Sam Cook somebody that had a voice. A platform and influence, and so just like he went after Ali, he was saying that if he could get Sam Cooke to convert, he'd have a, a a much bigger platform to use. And he, so to me, that's really what he was about. You know, were there like subliminal hints of the color colorism and? You know, with the vanilla reference that they made, and with Jim Brown talking about, you know, white women like he did, yeah, there were mentions of that. But I think not to be too analytical about it for the movie, I think that's really what Malcolm X saw in the movie, and that's what I took that he saw. But, you know, coming out of that and looking in um society, you know, I have nieces and nephews that, you know, are mixed, right? And and, like you said, we can't go too deep into that. But, There's a thing to say about folks that are just, you know, you're black and you're black and you're black. That's it. If you're mixed of any kind of. In any kind of way. It may take you longer to see your blackness, and sometimes you only see it when society spits it in your face. And so it ends up being that some of the folks that, you know, are not considered that will get the high yellow or mulatto or, you know, whatever kind of word you want to use or description. To label them, they end up having to embrace the fact that they're black a lot harder than somebody that didn't need to embrace it because this is who they are and this is what they are, and this is how society paints them, right? So you look at like Malcolm X, and you know, there's a bunch of other revolutionary leaders um, in the black community that were not necessarily dark-skinned, but because you know, in my opinion, they had to embrace it in a a, a very raw way. They stand up for it now because of how it was presented to them or how it intersected with how they felt.
1: I mean, I see that. I I think when Jim Brown is – clearly Jim Brown is a person – I mean, gosh, I mean, he's a big man. I mean, especially during that time. I mean, he he was the size of a a, a linebacker. He was bigger than the offensive lineman back then. So I think because of his size and he's a man of few words – but when he speaks, he kind of carries a big stick. But when he made the comment to to Malcolm X, when Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali had went to the store, and he was like, "What is it with you light skinned brothers?" and he was saying both you and 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 uh, 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 Huey Huey Newton, he was like, "Y'all y'all light like skins, like y'all feel like you have to be more militant." And he was like, "It does it have anything to do with you know you being so high yellow." And I just I. You know, it's kind of funny, and we won't go too deep into this race thing um, today, like the the whole color complex thing that, you know, we in a black community have to deal with. I think that's going to be an episode that one day we'll have to delve into, and it could probably be a five-part series. But I do believe that there's some truth to that. And I think that's also, even though Malcolm X is a a lighter-complexed individual, I think it played a part in him kind of having a little bit of, as we would say in today's era, a little bit of hateration towards Sam Cooke, too and i think that's a reason why i think jim brown had a little bit more of a pass uh than him and it's not like jim brown is a dark guy but i just think that's something to to kind of look at so if you watch the movie kind of look at some of those underlying um things and see if you agree with us but i want to get to another point um and kind of see what you think about this you know um i don't know what you, who you would name in a modern day equivalent but do you think we could ever see three or four prominent like black people just working on a plan together, you know, to kind of better the 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 black community? Kind of like what you see in this film, Like I think one of the things that they don't actually address, they only address when the film is over that Malcolm X was killed less than a year after this 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 event. The thing that they don't mention is so was Sam Cook. I don't know if you knew that, but it was less than a year from the ending of this film that both Sam Cook and um, Malcolm X were killed. Um, do you think in in 2021, do you think we would ever have like three or four prominent black people, whether you know, in entertainment or something like that, that would ever come together and and try to do something like monumental for the black community? And I, and I guess if it were, like, I don't know, maybe the equivalent would be if I don't know, Oprah Winfrey got together with LeBron James. And I'm trying to think who else is like really powerful, you know, big, you know, you know, people in a a black community. Do you do you think we could ever see something like that again where you got four prominent, powerful black people in one room trying to talk about ways to better the whole the whole race? And if so, who do you think um, would be the ideal people to be in that room?
0: I think the first thing is come together for what for me it's 100% economic empowerment 100% economic empowerment i think is the fundamental spine to welfare and you can, so welfare for me it's all the other things combined like you know justice and financial systems and you know racial equality i think at the at the core of it is economic empowerment if you identify a spine that everybody kind of comes around then yes you can have leaders to kind of come together. And they don't necessarily need to sit in the same room because, you know, we're in an era now where voices are amplified. We're in an era of empowerment. We're in an era where, you know, people activate rather quickly and very capably, right? They don't need to go sit in a room and like plot and do all of the things that, you know, they did before. You can get on Instagram now and you have folks that have, millions of followers just piping a message, right? You have artists that are not even black that chipping in and saying, you know, use my Instagram to, to, to put out this message and all of these things, right? So I think identifying that core spine of what it is that you want the movement to be about allows other people to chip into it without needing to come together to have a conversation. Because all the folks you mentioned, um, LeBron, you see how he goes about it. Kyrie, for the fact that he's taking, he goes about it in, in, in his own way. And he's very effective, right? Because he doesn't talk much. He puts up money, he buys houses, he pays for like um attorney fees, Jay-Z in his own way. Like so they all go about it differently. But fundamentally, if you pick the spine, which in my opinion is economic empowerment, because economic empowerment drives all the other things. And this is just my opinion. You want to talk about you know, the entertainment industry and, you know, the democratization of the power that creatives bring to the table, you know, how do you dilute that center of power that still decides what show gets made? So we're talking about this movie right now because Amazon did it. We're going to talk about another one because Netflix did it. You know, we're going to talk about another one because uh, maybe Disney did it, right? And maybe NBC did it and Viacom, right? So all these things are happening because fundamentally the economic power of shows like this have been demonstrated. you know the the, the, the economic the, the power of competition now comes into play because Amazon oh, credit goes to them for giving this opportunity. This movie probably took two years to make i don't know when it was green lit and all of that, but not to go too much on a monologue here, I think the core of it, in my opinion, is economic empowerment, and from that you can build alliances in a way that allows individuals to chip into the bucket without, you know, having to form a union or any of those things. Right. So that'd be my long winded opinion of it.
1: No, I love your response, man. I mean, that's a great response. I mean, I think Kim Powers who who wrote this play, you know, Regina King who directed this play, the actors who participated in this, this film, I think what you're saying, and if I may, well, you know, is that we don't have to have a black savior. You don't need four prominent people uh, within our community to come in and save us. I think the one thing, like you mentioned, like social media and these people with followers, that's one of the things that I do love about this this time we're in. Anybody can influence and affect and create change. And I don't. And I th- I think that's important. And I think to some extent, um, I guess you know you can do it from within. You know, which is kind of the Malcolm X way, the way he was saying. But I think the other thing is what, you know, Sam Cook was saying is that, you know, the one thing that I really was encouraged by uh, being being here in L.A. and living here now. And I know you and I have had this conversation quite a bit offline is that one of the reasons why I think change that is happening in this country and across this world right now hasn't died down. It's because it's no longer a Black issue. It's no longer a woman issue. It's no longer a gay issue. You know, I saw during the whole Black Lives Matter and and the Me Too movements and things like that, I saw that it was no longer just a Black issue. I didn't just see Black people out there protesting. I saw Asians. I saw Hispanics. I saw gay straights. You saw everybody, and it's no longer just our issue. And I think if people want to talk about what social media has done that has been positive, because we always hear about the bad things about how it makes people feel bad about themselves and all the negative, I think it now lets you have a door open. You know, you can live all the way in Los Angeles, but you can see what's happening in Kenosha and you can see it real time. And I think that's the positive that's happening right now. I think you don't need some some saviors. You don't just need a Barack Obama or Oprah Winfrey or Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or whoever you think is a prominent black figure to make change.
0: I think fundamentally, what it is is when you give agency to a character, and you give—I'm calling it character now because we're talking about a movie. You know, whether it's. LGBTQ or, you know, a veteran or, you know, a woman or Asian, you know, Latinx, when you give representation and you give agency that allows people to visit with who this individual is, right, it, it, it takes away from these connotations that we have around what is and what is not. So, and, and th- that to me, it's the, the deeper aspect of why Muhammad Ali was able to connect with people the way he did because you have agency in his voice. You have representation in his voice. If you take a uh, LGBTQ character and put him in this movie and you just represent them in a way that denotes them as LGBTQ without giving them agency or voice, you have a problem, right? Because and, and to me, that's the that's the aspect of diversity and that's the aspect of representation that's I find inadequate in a way because there's no one person. There's no, there are no two people, right? Every individual has their own aspects to them that create depth. And so as you start looking into these things and you start making these movies, you could have just taken... Muhammad Ali, and meet this a lot about him, and you know him being bombastic and talking, and everybody's like, "This is what it is." But bringing him into that room and allowing the audience to kind of see his personal struggles with it, and to see him question it and go back and forth they give you a chance to visit with him as an individual. They give you a chance to look at him as an individual. They give you a chance to look at him as a Black man. And they give you a chance to place him as a Black man in the community that he's connected to and how he thinks about, you know, elevating this community in his own way, in his head. And that's really the depth that I think, you know, Kemp Powers and um, Regina, like Regina King. And, you know, I think that's the power that they brought by visiting with them, and really sitting with them and writing the story in a very sympathetic and empathetic and pitiful way, pitiful in a good way, that you can actually sit there and say, wow, Malcolm X had these struggles, but he was still able to do this and do that. And Sam Cooke had these struggles and they talked about it. So now you're looking at them like, that's my dog. Like I go through these battles myself. You know, I can visit with you, I can hang with you. Like, even though it's a movie, you still get those feelings and you get those emotions, you know, and you're like, wow, you know, they were unhappy going down this path and I'm unhappy. Like you talk to some folks and they're like, I didn't even want to go out in the streets during BLM because that's not my thing, but I want to be impactful in this other way that I know I'm good at. Right. So again, I, I really, um, it it really ties in nicely into the delivery of the whole movie for me and you know how they wrote it how they packaged it and how they they forced us to sit in this one room and really visit with the you know the the the, the mumblings underneath their voice you know so
1: i would say you know just kind of giving you my takeaway i think even though this movie is unmistakably Black, it's a Black black writer, it's a Black director, it's Black actors, this, this isn't a Black film to me. It is a film that just happens to be these four prominent Black men in the room. This movie to me is a human story. It is a story of no matter how high you get, if without, without your freedom, you're still fighting. These are men who are fighting for, them, for their freedom. Muhammad Ali is the youngest person in this movie and he surrounded himself by other prominent black men that he can learn from but he's still a prisoner he's still beholden and you feel that and you, you cuz when you watch this movie to i i didn't i hadn't seen the play and I didn't know the play so to me it, it felt like a thriller i kept saying what's going to happen you know Malcolm X has been followed constantly you, and the people are watching them, the FBI or whatever is probably listening on them because everyone's so worried about the nation of Islam and things of this nature. To be those four men that might be some of the most famous men in the world, but yet you're still in a bubble, you still are fearing for your life, and you're still trying to get your freedom. Even though you might be, most people consider you at the peak, at the pinnacle of where you can be in your profession and as far as stature, you're still trying to get your freedom. And I think there's something that resonates about that. And there's there's a sadness that comes from it. There's a burden that came with it. And unfortunately, two of the characters lost their lives within a year of being in this room. And that's something that that I think is really important for people to take away from. This is, for me, one of the best films I've seen in a year. I, thir- I thought the writing was excellent. I thought the acting was excellent. I, I felt like the pace of it was excellent. And I felt like for a film, and it's hard for me to give perfect scores for things. But if I give a perfect score to a movie, you have to have some humor. You must have some levity. It must have some drama. The acting must be exceptional. The writing, the pace, everything. I felt like this movie gave me everything without ever feeling like I was being manipulated or tr- made to feel a certain way. It didn't try to. Um, you know, make grand statements on race or politics or sports. It felt like young men, and I went to a historically Black college, shout out to Hampton out there. It felt like what I had when I used to be in college, and I would be sitting there with a bunch of my peers who are like-minded, and we're all trying to make our mark in the world. It was just something very, very, um, it, I don't know, it, just, it was just something very familiar to me to see that, and to have those conversations. And it felt like I was able to be a fly on the wall and hear these amazing men who've overcome so many things. And yet they're still a prisoner of their time and their moment. So with all that being said, for me, I'm going to give this movie a five out of five. And, I, and that's not something I do a lot. I think I'm a harsh critic, but I thoroughly was moved by this movie without feeling manipulated. And I just thought it was a great film. So having said that, what's, what's your score?
0: I give it a four. And I'm, I'm okay. giving it a four. Um, So it's a very solid movie um, for everything you've talked about. Casting was great. The directing was great. The writing was great. The cinematography was great. I mean, the way it was shot, um, they didn't waste much in the movie. So there's really nothing to pick on. You know, it's comedy. There's depth. There's seriousness. The characters were very well developed, right? So there's not much for me to pick on, really. The only thing that I'll hold off on giving it a five One of the things I like a movie to do for me is to transport me to a place where I haven't been before. So this movie didn't do that for me. It really just provided depth to some things that I've already experienced. So for that reason alone, I'm giving it a four, but it's a very solid four.
1: All right, so I'll say our joint score, I'm gonna gonna go ahead and mix them up together. So the culture score for this with my five and your four, we're gonna rate it a 4.5. And I'm going to give you guys, a, uh, that's a great score. And I'm going to give everybody a teaser to let you know what's coming up next. The next episode, we're going to be reviewing the highly anticipated and much discussed Malcolm and Marie, the John David Washington Zendaya film that is on uh, Netflix right now. We purposely chose not to do it uh, earlier because <laughs> it's a heavy film. And even though it was Valentine's Day oh, on Sunday, we're like, we didn't want to ruin it for people because it's a heavy Heavy film. We look forward to reviewing that next week. Um, We thank you guys for joining us. We hope you'll stay with us and get to know us a little bit better. And we get to know you guys a little bit better. But in the meantime, you know, stay blessed out there. And uh, Ben, any closing words for
0: you? No, absolutely. Stay blessed. You know, be safe. All right, man. Hey, thank you so much. Have a good week. (laughs) Y'all be good. Come back, listen to us. Episode four coming up.